This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. We're back, you guys. It's me, Alex Fitton, in your ears again for season eight of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. This season is all about the amazing women and men out there sharing their hearts for adoption with the masses on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and all over the social spaces. Speaking of social spaces, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Adoptive Mom, and I hope that you will. I have to say, I am so very grateful for every single message, email, and DM you guys have sent me asking me where the podcast was and how I was and that you miss me and all the things. It meant so, so much to me. Like You guys have no idea. I really, really appreciate greatly the grace that you guys have offered me as I desperately needed to take a break to finish homeschooling this past year and just slow down and regroup. Uh, My greatest fear was that if I took a break, it would be a letting you guys down and b that I would just, it would just look like I dropped the ball and let things fade, which is never what I wanted to communicate. But you guys, I was dropping the ball. I was not being the best for you guys or my family or God or myself. And I want to encourage you that if you are in a season where you need to take things off your plate, even things that feel good and right and needed, it's okay to lean into that. Be intentional about it and trust the Lord that it's time will come again. Um, I could just go on and on about how much I love you guys and how grateful I am to be back, but then I would completely fail to share with you guys my amazing, excuse me, conversation with today's guest and kick off this eighth season of AMP. So today we're going to sit down with one Melissa freaking Truett. You guys are probably already familiar with her and her incredible family, but today we're getting the insider scoop on her story and her heart for adoption and foster care. And I have to share something really cool about Melissa. If you read the blog post for today's episode, then you already know that I had to edit out like the first 20 minutes of our conversation because that's how long Melissa spent asking me about my life and my story and my journey before we even got to hers. That's how super humble and kind she is. And I can't wait to share her with y'all. But first, I have to tell you guys about the new stuff I have for you guys at AMP Plus over on Patreon. First of all, I have an easier way to get you to all of that good stuff. You can now just simply head to the adoptivemompodcast.com slash Patreon. And I have all of the information and links you need from there. If you're already on Patreon, you will have already had access to this episode for a whole week. And right this very second, you can listen to next week's episode. Uh, you also get access to the bonus interview I do with each and every guest where I ask them fun questions and we laugh so, so hard. Plus it's a cheap and easy way to support me and the show for just $5 a month. It's a win-win 100%. Uh, just head to the adoptedmompodcast.com slash Patreon and click the link in the show notes uh, to get access to all of this bonus content and support the show. Okay, guys, let's get to our interview with Melissa Truitt. Welcome back to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am thrilled to introduce you guys to Melissa Truitt today. How are you doing, Melissa? I'm so excited to be talking to you. I'm so excited to be talking to you. We are doing good. Awesome. Um, I, I'm assuming that so many of my listeners probably already know who you are because you're doing so many cool things just on you know videos and Instagram and like everything you're doing, but... For those of you who don't know, Melissa, can you just take a second and introduce yourself and your family? Sure. I'm Melissa Truitt. Um, I am an adoptive uh, and foster mom of five kids currently, and uh, I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we have, we're just kind of wrangling the circus every single day. Um, and so I love just having people along for the ride and just um, kind of hanging out with everyone from all across the globe. I think it's so cool that social media has made our world so small to where we can all hang out and just all kind of get to know each other on a real level. 
Yes. It's amazing. And one of my favorite parts about getting to do these interviews, to be able to have people on the podcast is just showcasing your stories. And so I'm really excited to get into just the, even, you know, from the very beginning, what led you to this stuff to now. Um, but I, I just love what you said about how the internet is kind of bringing us together. And I think that there's this like flip side to the coin, you know, the internet can be good and bad and the internet can be, you know, hard and it can have all these negative connotations, but then the beautiful parts of it are what you just said, right? Which is like, it can bring us together and open our eyes to new ideas and uh, bigger conversations than we're able to have on a smaller basis. And that is the truly amazing parts of the internet. And you've been such a, I don't know, such a cool part of that. Would you agree with that? Or do you think it's like uh, pretty balanced, like hard and good, or, or is it just good? Or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's, it, it can be good and bad. You know, I know of course the bad stuff and I get, you know, some, some sort of hate, but most of it is, it's definitely the good outweighs the bad. Um, but what I find is really cool is, um, the good side of things to where the, since the internet and social media is so huge, you have a bigger market of people that you can meet and be like, Hey, like you're really cool too. And that totally outweighs any of the negative stuff. And so, um, with mine, I, from the get go, I've tried to be like as open and honest with my social media as I possibly can. If you, um, have followed along, it's been, I mean, I show the good, the bad and the ugly, or at least I try to. Um, and, and I like adore it because the people that I follow and the people that follow me and I follow them back, like they also do the same thing. So it's like, we're kind of all relating and we all get to see like a real life, like, reality show of one another. And it makes us all kind of just seem like a less of a huge world. Um, and so I've loved it for that because then you can kind of with our, with this big world, we can actually get down to the, like the niche of, us. Uh, so this is who I relate to this. Are, these are the people that we are closer to. And even if you live in Indiana and I live in Oklahoma, or you live in New York city and I live in a small town, um, we can all kind of relate because we have, you know, we've fostered or because we, um, like to exercise or because we like to cook eggs, whatever it is, like we can kind of all relate and in, without social media, we most likely would have never crossed paths. So I find that like super, super cool. Yes. Oh my gosh. And we can totally like, I'm excited to get into more of the nitty gritty of that. Um, but first let's like, let's circle back. I am so excited to hear your story. So take us back to the very beginning. What got you into this? What made you be like, you know what, we're going to jump into foster care and adoption and then, you know, bring us to now. Okay. So, um, my husband, Dustin and I have been now married for 11 years. And, um, when we were first married, we, uh, actually our oldest daughter, um, she was a honeymoon baby. And so we immediately like got married and just the roller coaster started from there. Um, and it was awesome and great. And I wouldn't have planned it that way for sure. But I know that like God had a different plan for our lives and it ended up being better. But, um, we, when we first got married, we decided to join a church together that like we both wanted to be a part of and both felt like this was a good place for both of us to be. And, um, when we did, we joined a church without knowing that it it was huge into the foster care and adoptive ministry. Um, which I will say if you're a church goer and they, your church isn't, um, a big proponent of that, like, I mean, just advocate, uh, and get your church to do that. It is Mm -hmm. amazing. And so much would be changed in the world if the churches would step up. So I don't say like change churches, but like advocate for it. You be like the front runner for your church to become that. Um, so anyway, our church thankfully was huge into the foster and adoptive, uh, ministry. And, um, So anyway, I was volunteering at the church and, um, they had a special needs room and the special needs room was awesome because it was like, it had really low lights and it was really calming. Um, and my background in, um, in college is I have a degree in elementary education with a specialty in, uh, autism research. And so I, I knew a lot of like special needs kids and I knew how things worked. And so anyway, I worked in this special needs or I volunteered in the special needs room at our church. Um, so I was volunteering there and uh, all of a sudden, just randomly one Sunday, 
this other volunteer comes into our, our classroom and is like, Hey, um, this little girl is a foster daughter or foster care little girl. And she just came into the system last night. And this, um, family, um, is here at church and she's, the little girl is super upset and she went to her first classroom and she was so upset and it was just a lot of kids. So we're just going to bring her into the special needs room. She did not have any special needs, but like, we're going to bring her into your room um, because it's just quieter. There's less kids and it's quiet and it's calming. And so we were like, okay, perfect. So literally they put this little girl in my arms and she was like three and she was crying hysterically. And uh, she had blonde hair and these dark brown eyes. And so my husband and I both have like darker skin skin, darker hair, um, all of the things, but our daughter, uh, at the time she was one and she also had dark skin, dark eyes, dark hair, all of that. But this little girl had blonde hair and dark eyes. And anyway, they laid her in my arms and she looked up at me. And as soon as she looked up, her eyes just reminded me of my daughter's and it like, just, she just looked at me and she was crying and then she just stopped crying. And I was like, so I just stared at her and I was just trying to console her. And all of a sudden she stopped crying. And I just felt like the Lord telling me like, I love her. Like you love Isabel, my oldest daughter. And she was like, he was just, I just felt like he was telling me like, I love her the same. And so at that point I was like, okay. And I felt like he was saying like, you need to go after the, you need to help kids that, that I love. And uh, so anyway, I just, I was like, okay, Lord, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this means. So I get back in our car after the volunteer service is over with my husband and he's like, so how was everything? And I immediately start crying like a lunatic. And I'm like, I prayed this stupid prayer. And I said like, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And he did. And like, we have to be foster parents and we have to do this. This is what we're going to do. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like (laughs) what, what just happened? Of course. And, uh, and so he was like dumbfounded. So then I was like, okay, I'm just going to, this is what's on my heart. I don't know if it means five years, 10 years or next week. Um, but I'm going to pray about it. And so I prayed about it and I said like, Lord, if this is what we're supposed to do, you have to, you have to work through Dustin. You've got to work on him. Cause he was like, what in the world? We have a baby like now this is crazy. He's like, I really um, just meant like, did you get peed on today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, did somebody throw up on you? What happened? Are we going to, you know, like Chick-fil-A's closed. We can't go there for lunch. Where are we going? And, uh, so it was a lot. And again, we were like newly semi newly married, you know, a year into the marriage. Um, so anyway, uh, we then started volunteering, uh, locally, there was a shelter in Tulsa and it was, uh, for like immediate respite care. So when kids come into care, they will go there and they try to get them out of the shelter as quickly as possible. But usually it would take a little bit longer. So we were volunteering there. And while we were volunteering there, we learned about a uh, program called Home for the Holidays, where they try to get all the kids from that shelter um, home for for the holidays. So whether it be Christmas, Easter, whatever, they try to clear the shelter. So, um, it just came up that Easter is coming up and this program was starting. And so, um, we were like, okay, we're going to take a couple kids home for the holidays. And since we have all been volunteering there, there was this one little girl who I thought was like, so great. And, uh, and anyway, I was like, I think I want to take this little girl home. I think that she would be great. And she, she's a little girl, you know, so our daughter would be great. It'd be an easy fit. Well, Dustin was like, my husband was like, there's this one little boy and he was so cute and he was like so sweet. And I think this might be a better fit. So anyway, we talked to the worker and they were like, how funny, but those two are siblings. And he thought the little boy was a great fit. I thought the little girl. Um, and so anyway, we were like, well, we'll take both of them home. And when we both, we took them home for the weekend, it was awesome and so great. And, um, so like just, life-giving. Um, but then when the weekend ended and it was time to bring them back, it was honestly like one, still one of our like hardest days ever to bring them back because we weren't foster foster certified at that time. So we couldn't do anything long-term and we had to bring them home, but we didn't want to, and they didn't want to. Um, but that was the moment where it, the Lord completely broke Dustin's heart and was like, yep, this is what we're doing. And he was a hundred percent on board and was like, this is what we're doing. This, this is, this is what is for our lives. So, um, we did that and we started going through the foster certification. We fostered, uh, several kids. I want to say like five, um, kids in and out. And it was 
some of it was really good. Some of it was not the best. It was hard at times for sure. Um, but we also felt like, uh, kind of a call where we felt like the Lord is telling us like, you have to go after these birth parents. A lot of times, um, when you're fostering, you, you can like help the child, but like the birth parents, you don't get a lot of, you can't connect to them very much. And we really wanted to work with them and like help them because sadly, a lot of times the birth parents have, um, you know, issues that they, they've been through the system. They've had a lot of trauma that they haven't been allowed to work through. And so we really wanted to like work with them through it. So there's an awesome organization in Tulsa and it's a, a nonprofit organization called crisis pregnancy outreach. And, um, one of the things that they do is you, you pair with the birth parent and you walk them through, you know, their entire decision, decision, whether they decide to, um, parent or whether they decide to, um, make an adoption plan. So we are like, this is, this is perfect. So, um, we decided to, we called crisis pregnancy outreach and, um, they're like, yeah, you can put in a book. So we put in a book, which is like basically a family album. So we put in pictures and then like a little snippet. So nowadays it looks almost like Instagram, like quick little, like something about your picture, about your lives. And then you just kind of submit it. And, um, and then the birth, the potential birth moms look through it and decide whether or not like this is a good fit. Um, so we were warned that it would take like sometimes a couple years or a couple months or whatever. Um, we put in our book in less than 13 days later, <laughs> it was, we were chosen by a birth mom. Um, and Dustin had a job at the time where he was always in town, but this time he happened to like be out in Germany, which is super crazy. And so I get a call being like, this birth mom loves you guys and wants to meet you guys. And he's in Germany. So it's like three in the morning and it's, you know, afternoon for us. And so I couldn't talk to him. Um, so I was frantically like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what in the world is going on? Uh, I thought it was going to be months or years or whatever. Um, and I finally get a hold of him and we like celebrate, but then are also like super cautious on like what in the world is happening right now. Um, but we, Finally, he comes back into town. Uh, we go out to dinner with, uh, which is now our daughter's birth mom. Um, and we absolutely adore her. Like she was amazing. She is beautiful inside and out, which she still is, of course. Um, and, uh, we sit down with her, she goes over her story and, um, and she says she's 17 weeks pregnant. She hasn't been to a doctor's appointment and she wants me to take her. Um, so we walk through that and we walk away from the dinner being like, Oh my gosh, one, she's chosen us. And then two, like, this is, this is happening. We get to actually mentor this beautiful person that is definitely like had some serious trauma happening. Um, but we get to actually be a part of this through the entire process. So that was awesome. Um, do I need to say, do you want me to keep going or? Yeah, keep going. I just, I'm like, I love like I'm writing down things that I want to talk about, like when you're done with your story, because I just love how I, you know, viewers, you can't see her, but like the stars in your eyes and you're talking about your daughter's birth mom. It's like, just so touching. Like I'm like beaming. Anyway, I didn't mean to distract you with my like giddiness over how excited you are. We, we sat with her and we loved her and, um, everything was great. Well, then we go to her first. So I set up the first doctor's appointment and as we're going to the first doctor's appointment and uh, she Berkeley's birth mom starts showing signs of like definite drug abuse. Um, you know, just kind of passing out and not being able to fill out her paperwork, that kind of thing. Um, we'll sit down to do the ultrasound and she was passing out during the ultrasound. Um, and so we're finding out during the ultrasound uh, the sex of the baby. So like, obviously that's a big, that's, that's super exciting and a big deal. And, um, so we are sitting there and she's literally completely a hundred percent passed out as he's like, it's a girl. And, uh, so we are in tears, but also like what in the world we had no idea about, um, drug addiction. We didn't, I mean, we did obviously, but not, we didn't know the actual signs and symptoms. 
Um, so the, 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 her doctor at that time, which he is amazing. He sat her down and sat us down and was like, listen, he was like, what are you on? And she told him, and he was like, that amount of drugs is going to kill you. You're a tiny woman. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill this baby. You're, I mean, and he gave her like the scary story of it, which, which she needed to hear. And he was lovingly saying it. He wasn't being rude. He was just like, listen, like you're an amazing woman. You can do this. There's lots of help that you can do. And like, you're obviously doing something that is so selfless and amazing and let's get you some help. So he was awesome. He prayed for her, prayed for us, all of that. Um, and then we left and we were literally in the parking garage, like sobbing. Cause we were like, we don't know what to do. We were at our like complete, like dumbfounded. Like, what do we do? How do we love her? How do we help? We don't know anything about this. So, um, we literally just made a million different calls to a million different people asking like, what do we do? How do we help her? How do we help the situation? What are, what do we do? Um, so in turn of her, she was, uh, addicted to opiates. Um, and she got on methadone at the time, which we didn't know what methadone was. Um, and in turn, she, she got on uh, methadone through the entire pregnancy, but also did not come off of the opiates. So, um, that was super hard because I mean, what do you, what do you do? you just pray really hard. And, um, and I took her to every single methadone appointment. So methadone is, you know, like a government funded, um, drug to get off of other drugs. So I took her to the appointments. We went to, you know, like hang out and have dinner and like, I, you know, really did my best to like really help her. Um, she did have a daughter previously before Berkeley, um, before her, the daughter that she placed with us. Um, and we met with her and hung out with her. Um, and that was, which we can go into that in a little bit, but that was, I'm so thankful for that situation because we did get to meet her. We did get to see her. We, um, she was currently living with her biological aunt. So the birth dad's sister. Um, and so she was living with her and she was in a safe place and really good. Um, but that was, that was the different situation. So we had to kind of navigate that anyway. Uh, so after 17 weeks, we walked through everything with her from methadone to every single doctor's appointment, everything that we went through with her. Um, she again was just a product of the system. She was in foster care since she was 10 years old. And, um, sadly because she was beautiful and intelligent. Um, she was taken advantage of in the system. She was taken advantage of just about everywhere she went. Um, I hate like a victim mentality, but I don't, I don't blame her for any of the things that, uh, she went through or any of the decisions that she made because, um, the stuff that happened, it really sucked. You know, it really, it would be really hard to overcome, um, but I know her and she's a fighter and I know that she can and will overcome, um, at some point. And, um, so anyway, uh, the, on March 23rd of 2013, Berkeley was born and she was so beautiful and so adorable. And her birth mom, um, made sure that we were the first ones to hold her and she called us and, um, they had an emergency C-section because of the condition that her birth mom went into the, you know, hospital in. And so they emergency C-sectioned her. We held her. She was beautiful, perfect, tiny little, like five pound, three ounce, little, like little ball of perfection. Um, they knew the amount of drugs that she was on. And they said that, uh, Berkeley was just like a miracle because she wasn't showing any signs of withdrawal. And so we were like, that's amazing. And so we sat in the hospital for three days. Um, and that was great because we were the next door to her birth mom's hospital room. Um, and so we all got to kind of bond and share that time together. And then her birth mom left a little bit early. Um, and we were there with Berkeley. And then finally they released us. And after about a week, Berkeley showed a, started showing signs of withdrawal. And then it, from there, it just went, got worse and worse and worse and worse. And um, finally, after two weeks of just like insane 
pain and withdrawals and all of these, like, I mean, awful things. And, uh, with withdrawal, the hard part about with Berkeley's was that her skin hurt. So even when I held her, it hurt her, which as a mom and your baby's screaming and you want to pick them up and hold them. And she, when I held her, it was worse for her. And so, um, that was, that was really, really, really hard because you're fighting every, like, you know, mother's love to not hold your baby and to have to like lay them down when they're in pain and just sit and cry. And we would just sit and cry while she would sit and cry and make this, um, terrible crying sound. It's different than a baby, you know, regular crying sound. It's just a super shrill, awful, painful cry. You know this and, well, and you, you know, that's like, that's when you build attachment and that's so uh-huh. hard. Yeah. Yes. Like in the worst, you know, like, no, I, I I'll take it all from you if we can just like stop here. So, um, thankfully we had amazing pediatricians that, um, talked to us through the whole thing. And then they were like, you have to go back into the hospital. So we went back to the NICU after two weeks and we were told that we were the first people that have ever been readmitted, uh, to the NICU, which we were like, awesome. I'm sure we walked in there looking like we had been like in a fight with Mike Tyson. Um, and so the little nurses were incredible and they like walked in and they just look at you like, Oh girl, I cannot believe you. Oh my gosh. And you know, you feel like that. You're like, let me just hold me. I'm so, (laughs) so beat up. Just, just please. So anyway, she was there. Uh, they put her on, um, some stuff to with help with the withdrawals. Um, and she was there, we were there for almost two weeks in the NIC, in the NICU, um, as she was withdrawing when she was released, we still had to do methadone, small amounts of methadone for her, which is also very hard, um, to be administering that to your, at that time she had lost some weight. So she was like a little less than five pounds. She was tiny, um, baby. So, um, and our pediatrician was awesome. And they said, it'll, you won't necessarily like see your real baby until she's about six months old. And we did after finally we could stop, um, you know, administering those drugs to her. She, um, she started showing up and boy, did she show up and she's still showing up just <laughs> as strong. She's like our spiciest is spicy. We love her so much. She's, she's just the best. I love it. Um, so that was, that was your private adoption. Uh, yes. what happened after that? So, um, after that, uh, it was crazy cool. So I talked about Berkeley's, uh, biological sister. So we actually became really good friends with her biological aunt, um, who was raising her biological sister. And, um, she is like, honest to God, still now the like strongest woman that I know. Um, she is amazing. And she has like, we've become like super close friends. It's just been awesome to do that. So we, after Berkeley, we were like, you know, we don't necessarily like want, we don't know what we're doing. Um, but it was time to like start fostering again. So we said, okay, we'll foster. Now we have two girls. So we'll say in Berkeley at the time was three or no, no, no. She was about to be three. And so we said, okay, we'll do a little boy to do so that you don't, you know, uh, it's something different. And then we're some testosterone in there. Yeah. Like something different, you know, and there's no like, you know, competition or whatever. And, uh, so we're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll say a little boy. And then we, they always say, don't go out of birth order. And so we said, you know, two and a half or under. So we go through, you know, we, we do the paperwork to, um, get ready for, you know, foster care again. And, um, and then we get a couple emails that are like, you know, will you take a sibling set of five? And which is like hard. Cause you of course want to help, but it's like, okay, no, like, no, we said one and we know our limits, which I will say, if you're going to be a foster parent, like, set your limits, set your boundaries and know that like, that's, that's all we can do. If it's two, that's great. If it's three, that's amazing. If it's one, that's great too. Like all of it, but set your boundaries. Um, because you know, they will push your boundaries like, you know, DHS or CPS or wh- whoever will push your boundaries. And it's great. Cause that's, they're trying to do their job. They want to really like get these kids into good homes, but you have to know where your limits are. And so we said like, that is our limit right now. We can just do one right now. We can do one. We had a couple placements that were, um, short-term and, um, 
but then we finally got, or we got an email that was like, will you please take, or there's a little girl and she's just needs to stay the weekend and she's three and a half. Um, and she's a great girl. She's been in the system before, but her grandmother just has to file paperwork and it will go through by the end of the weekend. So if you could take her from Thursday until Monday, that'd be great. So we are like, okay, that's fine. We'll do that. Um, so, uh, a- the little girl is Aisley, our current daughter. She was, was a short say. term. <laughs> we know <laughs> how this is short- going. <laughs> yeah. She was a short term foster family or foster placement. Um, but they dropped her off at about one 30 in the morning with a trash bag of clothes. She was mm. the most beautiful little brown eyed girl. And she was passed out asleep, um, in the back of this van, they laid her on me and she just kept sleeping. I put her in bed. Um, and she, she woke up and, uh, you know, it, it, she was so sweet because she, uh, introduced herself and she told me who she was. And I said who I was. And then I put her to bed and she was like, good night. And then she just went to bed. Like it was no big deal. Uh, and then she woke up the next morning and same thing. We, we, you know, we had breakfast all together and she was so sweet and so great, but we just assumed like, it's just going to be a weekend placement. Um, we had contact with her biological grandma. Um, we talked to her, you know, several times. And as time went on, we saw that like, this was not the situation that we signed up for on, um, the grandma was not a safe place and grandma was in no rush to, uh, do anything to do, to do any sort of paperwork or whatever. Uh, so we were like, well, we'll just sit tight. We'll see, you know, what's, what's happening. Uh, and in that time, Aisley had, you know, of course place or, you know, different visits with her, with her biological mom, with her social worker, with, um, she then got a counselor, different things to go on. And, um, and we just continue to just kind of put one foot in front of the, in front of the next, cause we didn't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, how can you? Like, that's yes. the like the story. Tale as old as time. Like, sure, sure, sure. Just like a few days, yes. and then I. That's it. Was so funny, just the way you led into it. You're like, and that was Aisley. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh. Okay, so you completed that adoption at some point, and then what? What next? Um. So we actually fostered Aisley for a year and a half before we actually finalized that adoption. Um, which was. Of course, I, I'll just sum it up on, I mean, it's crazy. You, the times that we go through the stuff that she had been through in that short time, you, it's not, I hate the like sentence that kids are resilient because they're not, um, kids are strong and kids can get over stuff, but like it takes time. And, Mm -hmm. um, even in her three and a half years that she had not been with us, like she had been through some stuff and we're still working through it. And she's, you know, about to be nine. And it doesn't just, it's not something that she even like remembers necessarily, but like her brain remembers and there's like a trauma brain and there's certain like fight or flight that she still will do. Um, and there's certain things that even with the difference with Berkeley and with Aisley are night and day different night and day, um, with, and it's not easier or harder, but it's just completely different. Um, and so we, uh, once we finalized with Aisley, it was, it was definitely like we were working toward healing with her and working toward, um, that real, like just real bond on not as much as like mama bear and papa bear that we were like fighting for her as we were just like compassionate, loving, normal parents that we, we felt like on the inside, because I feel like in a lot of times with foster care, you have to turn into this, like, you're just fighting for this baby. You're fighting for them and their rights and what the right thing to do when you're protecting them and you don't get to actually just like nurture and love as much as you would in a normal situation. Um, and so as soon as we finalized, it was like an immediate, like just relief that I didn't even know that we needed to like, you know, release ourselves from, but, um, that relief was really, really like, amazing to go through. And, um, and so once we finalized with her, I was, which I should have probably backed up to, but, um, I was pregnant. I was like eight months pregnant when we finally, uh, finalized with her, which was 
not necessarily in the plans. Um, but I was pregnant with her in another crazy twist of things that only God can do. Um, Berkeley's biological aunt that I had become friends with, she was pregnant and our due dates were the exact same day, literally exact same day. And so we had walked through this entire pregnancy. She was finalizing her adoption with Berkeley's biological sister. Um, the same time that I was, we were finalizing our adoption with Aisley. Um, and so we were literally walking like hand in hand through the, the same life stories together. Um, so we finalized with Aisley, uh, they finalized with Berkeley's biological sister. And then, um, we actually went into labor on our own the exact same days. Our, our sons were born, (laughs) her little boy and Boston were born on the exact same day. It's like the craziest, craziest situation that like, I mean, (laughs) like who would have guessed? Um, and so they were born at the exact same time, um, like literally hours apart. And, uh, and then it just became like, I mean, crazy from there. <laughs> we're, yeah. still, we're, we're still dealing with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I was trying to make some sort of pun on like sisterhood of the traveling, but I can't think, yeah. I can't think of anything. <laughs> traveling adoption. Yeah. Thing. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Insert so- joke here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. And so now, I mean, you have five total, like including, you know, all the, all the types of kids that you have, yes. Yes. uh, roll us through the roster of their ages right now. Okay. So Izzy or Isabel Izzy is, and we call her Izzy is 10. Uh, then Aisley is eight. Berkeley is eight. Uh, Boston is three. And then we have Tennessee who is our youngest and she is one. And she okay. was born, um, I mean, just another, like, we were done. And then she just was like, no, surprise. <laughs> I remember you getting pregnant with her and, like, announcing yes. that and seeing yes. that. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a big gap. That's a big gap. <laughs> yeah, I was, tra- I was uh, training for a marathon. And yeah. I had, had just got home from, I visited my brother in California and I got back home to Oklahoma and I was running with my sister and we got done with a long run. And right before I got done, I was like, I don't feel good. I'm really sick. And we had like, it was a 16 mile run because we were training for this marathon. And like the last one mile, I just threw up and she was like, well, it's probably because, you know, you've been traveling and you, you know, all of that, you're not sleeping, you're not eating well, you know, all those things. And so I was Eat like, some yeah, carbs. Right. yeah, of course. So I was like, <laughs> fine, fine. So we go through the next like four days and I still don't feel good. And so I just on a whim was like, before I go get blood work done and I find out that I'm anemic or whatever it is, I was like, I'm just going to pee on a stick and see if it's positive. So I, I, I do the pregnancy, you know, test. I jump in the shower thinking like, this is stupid. I get back out and I get out and I see the positive and I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So my husband comes in and, uh, before he comes in, I can't even say the words. And I hand my Boston, the stick that says positive. And he, and I'm like, go give this wand to dad. <laughs> and he walks up and I've got it on video. And Dustin's like, are you kidding me? How did this happen? I'm like, Oh babe, we got to go back to square one. If you don't know how this happened. <laughs> Little mommy and so, a daddy love each other. Very yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's like, oh, so whenever, uh, just to make, make it about me for a second. Uh, whenever <laughs> I got pregnant with my daughter again, she was very much a surprise as well. Uh, we had just gotten a traumatized teenager and I similarly took a test and I was like, this is stupid. And I like set it down, but it was like, I couldn't even like get it on the window ledge before it like starts turning. You oh, know, stripe. Yes. And I was like, oh my gosh. So then I wanted to tell my husband in person and I was trying to think of someone to call because I'm an external processor. So I had to tell someone, but I didn't want to tell like my mom before I told my husband, you know, that kind of thing. So I called my mentor at the time and I was like, I just have to talk to someone about this. I don't know when Brian's going to be home. And so I'm still on the phone with her and Brian walks in to the, like I'm pacing in the bathroom and I'm talking to her and I can't get off the phone. You know, it's like, she was in the middle of talking and I was just hoping he didn't notice. And then he noticed it and he held it up and he was like, what is this? And I'm like, what? And I'm like on the phone and I can't get off the phone. <laughs> yeah. So that's always how it happens. It's like, there's no Pinterest to it. It's just like, what did we do? Yeah. It just like happens upon this pregnancy <laughs> test. 
<laughs> exactly. What's going on here? Oh my gosh. I love it. Uh, okay. So like so many things that I just want to go back and ask you about because sure. uh, your story, first of all, like, I mean, it spans a long time and I feel like so many people are like, here's this time capsule of a crazy story we have, uh, myself included, you know, and not that it's not an ongoing story, but yours is like almost a decade long. Yes. And I just think it's so cool that you guys have persevered through that and, you know, just, just stayed with the course and let the Lord sustain you guys through such a long time. Um, I think that's really cool. Has there been a moment where you wanted to throw in the towel or when you felt done or is it just like, has the Lord truly just kept you going? Uh, no, we wanted to throw in the towel a lot of times and <laughs> so many. And, uh, I tell some of my friends who are walking through it now, um, that are working through foster care or through the adoption of like, Hey, there is no shame in the game of putting your kids to bed and getting in your closet with your husband and crying and yelling and being mad at God. Like that is no surprise to God when you're mad at him when you're frustrated, like that he is not shocked when you are mad at him. Like he knows all of your inner thoughts, like mm-hmm. tell him like what in the world you called me here. Um, I mean, Berkeley had hospital bills at the wazoo and I was a stay at home mom. Dustin was a young in his job. And we were like, she's wrecking our finances. I'm like, you called this here, God, you called us to this. Like, what is going on? Like, what, what are we supposed to do? And, um, God 100% of course took care of us and redeemed us. But in that dark time, it didn't look like it was going to happen. It didn't look like we were, where we were supposed to be kind of, because it was so hard. And I think that that's like, that's such a lie of the enemy to think that like, okay, if you're in God's will, that it's all going to be perfect and great. And, um, if you read God's word, like all throughout it, that's, that doesn't happen. You know, like when you do God's will, a lot of times it's hard and it's, it doesn't look like the easy road, but when you look back and we can look back at our story now and know that like he was there every single step of the way. And when we were at our lowest of low is when we felt the closest to him because we were so raw and vulnerable and he was the only one sustaining us, but it was very, very, very hard. And when we found out that, you know, Berkeley was, you know, her birth mom was on drugs. And so for those 23 weeks that we walked through her pregnancy, knowing that like, one, I'm a type A and like with my first pregnancy, I like didn't eat like lunch meat, you know, and I didn't drink coffee and to know that like Berkeley's birth mom was making different decisions and decisions that I wouldn't have made was really hard because I had, I, I couldn't do anything about it, you know, and I couldn't help her. And when I tried to mentor her, she wasn't necessarily there, nor did she want to even hear it. And so that was super hard. So I'm like, okay, I thought this is going to be some like lifetime story where it was all going to work out and she was going to turn her life around. And, and, um, and it did work out. It did. And I know that maybe her life isn't where I would want it to be for a lifetime story, but I just 100% believe that like the Lord has her and he has a great plan for her and it's on his timing, not mine. Um, but I know that in the meantime, he has shown his, his promises with Berkeley and Berkeley is, like I said, like she is our little spitfire. She's hysterical. She, um, her birth mom, we prayed about that is that she has this amazing gift where whoever she meets, they love her. And we always said that we pray that Berkeley has that same gift and she does. She is the most like lovable. Anyone that meets her thinks like Berkeley loves me the most. And, um, and, and she does like everywhere she goes, she hops, she's so joyful and amazing. Um, and so the Lord like really did keep his promises there and it did look different, different than I had wished, but it was, it was just, it was so much better than I had ever hoped for. Um, and then with Aisley with foster care, it's hard. You're not, you're not in control. And, um, at any single second, she could have been ripped from her home. And, uh, and, we knew that was detrimental and we knew it was hard and we knew that she was supposed to be ours. Um, but it was really, really hard. And then even once, you know, she was ours, she still had, you know, some serious trauma that she had to work through and that we had to work through because then you've been through the same kind of trauma. And and so we had to work through that too. And so it doesn't look like this, like, you know, 
again, like a lifetime family movie. Like you're still working through it day to day. Um, and we still learn different stuff day to day. And for a lot of times for people that haven't been through it, they don't understand it. Um, and so it can look different. It can look different when you're parenting differently than, you know, than the typical, like, I don't know, people do of like, just thank your kid or just put them in timeout. And it's like, we, yeah, we can't do that. That's not how we, you know, that's not what's healthy or good for her or whatever. Um, so we had to, you know, you kind of feel like an outcast. Um, but in the same token, we have found community of people that, um, have fostered and have adopted, and we can be super open and honest and vulnerable with, um, and we're super fortunate to have people locally that we can like be in one another's living rooms with and praying over and crying together and like, you know, being open and honest. But even if we didn't, that we do have an online community that I know it sounds weird, but like we have found one another, a group online with uh, Instagram and Facebook and things that we have like met people through that, that have been like so great. And so that's where I say, like, I know that social media gets a really bad rap on a lot of that stuff, but if you really like hone in on the good, like it's really, really good. 100%. And I think that that's like, it's all about managing your expectations, which we've been talking about. And I think that for your online community too, it's, it's so important to remember that you can have both and you can manage your expectations that like this can't fulfill this need and this can't fulfill this need, but together they can really make this adoption thing complete and whole and sanctifying. And, um, I don't, I love what you said. Speaking of sanctification, just, I think that so many people like to look at this lifetime movie version of what we do as adoptive moms, um, or just in the adoption community in general. And they like to think of trauma or overcoming trauma as an event and not a process. And I think that, you know, mm-hmm. we think about sanctification and how it's not an event, it's a process. And that's so true. Like, I think it's easy to look at these big moments, these like blips on a timeline of trauma or really hard things. Like when your daughter was, had to go back to the NICU or when you couldn't hold her, like those things that like, obviously you can hold her now, but that doesn't mean that it's like, and we all lived happily ever after, you know, and there's still so many hard things that we work through and our community is online and in person they, they can choose to be there for us along the way or be like, that was really cool when you did that five years ago, or like when, you know, we overcome that problem, overcame that problem five years ago or something like that, but to realize like, no, it still happens, you know, it might be easier, but it's still very much a process. Um, so I, I loved what you said about, your, your child's birth mom. And just going back to that, you know, it was just really cool to watch you talk about her. And I think that that's a big conversation right now is like, if we're going to be pro-life then we're going to be pro all life. Um, and there are three points of this adoption triad. And so often one of them, or even two of them can get forgotten. And I think that it's so important to remember that if we're going to support our kids, that means supporting their, you know, their birth families as well. Um, what has that process been like for you? Has it always been, you know, easier come easily to you or has it been hard to be, you know, to hold both? I think that, you know, as adoptive moms, we're having to hold like really hard stuff as a part of our kid's story, but also respect and honoring birth families. And that can be really hard to, um, to hold together, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I would say that as soon as like I had like burglars placed in my arms and I knew exactly what she had done. Um, because I've, I mean, I've held my biological kids in like the thought of like loving them enough to know that like, I, I'm not in the right place to, to give them what they need, um, is like the ultimate, like real sacrificial love. Like that is the most, I still can't fathom it, which is why I could never like hate her or speak ill will of her. Um, because she is like such a mother, like she really is that that is something that is amazing that like biblically, like Moses, Moses's mom did like, that is something that is so hard to be like, you know what? I love you enough to like, to, to fight for you in a way that like I couldn't. And I don't know if I, even me myself, if I could humble myself enough to ever do that, 
to ever be like, I can't do it. So, um, I, I don't, I don't know. I just hold her to a different regard to, um, which we all do in our household. And, um, and same with Aisley's birth mom is in the same token. Like we never speak ill will of her. Um, and I will say that until I'm, you know, dead in the ground of like, don't do that to your kids. Don't, I know that they've been through stuff and their birth moms might not be, you know, just upstanding citizens, but they're still a part of your child and you still don't, when they hear something poorly about their birth mom, naturally they're going to take that on as their own thing. And so speak very highly of them and look for the good in them. Even if it's the small stuff, look for the good in them. Um, and so, and most of the time now that I have kids, I just, I don't know. I just see a lot of kids, people, grown adults that have been through hard stuff. And I look at them as kids. If like at some point they're a kid that was forgotten about or some kid there, some point there were a kid that, you know, was traumatized or there were a child at some point that, you know, somebody didn't do right by them. And so I tried to just look at them like that. And with both of the kids, birth moms, I, we, we just try to be like that. Like, I'm like, they've, we all have our own sins. We all have our own issues and, um, and they're still dealing with theirs and that's okay. We will be here till the ends of the earth praying for them and knowing that at some point God is going to, um, work their stories out for the good. I just couldn't love that more. I think that that's such a good mentality and that's something to, I think it's really hard to think of that because it's really, it's really easy to demonize someone who caused you harm in some way, even unintentionally. And I know that I've been guilty of that, just struggling to say, to think good thoughts about someone that's making my life harder right now Mm -hmm. in the, in a moment, you know, and I think it's so important to remember just that, just exactly what you said. Um, and, and especially forward facing to our kids, um, which kind of brings me to another question I had for you. So Berkeley is obviously old enough to understand a lot more of her story, right? Mm-hmm. Like, understand yeah. that she's adopted. Yeah, understand, you know. Uh-huh. So, I mean, and maybe this is a completely self-serving question because I have a very similar story to you, you know, having a child that went through drug exposure and specifically opiates, which can be really, really damaging. Um, how do you have those conversations with her or do you yet? Um, what, what is the like, you know, age appropriate way to tell her why she may be struggling or to talk to her about that part of her story? Right. Um, before I go on from that though, before to go back on what we were talking about also, like you can still, um, with everything that goes on in the darkness of it, that's where I said, Dustin, and I had a lot of like closet cries. Like you can still be like, I'm so mad at this. This is not right. I'm so mad and do it in the closet, in the living room, wherever with somebody with a safe person, but just not outwardly in front of everyone. Um, and letting that be known, I will just say that, yeah. like, keep that, that, keep that story, you know, semi, you know, of course you can like open up, but like all the details, like, yes, let that know, let that be known with your small group of community and your husband or your spouse or whoever. Um, you don't have to be like, no, they're all great. Eventually it's all going to be rainbows and unicorns. Like, cause it's not, it's hard. But, um, I will say that like in front of your kids always like you know, a little bit, you know, be a little more political about things. Um, so that was, but yeah, I for sure let stuff go crazy at, at times. Oh, sure. We'll get real mad and yell and cry and, you know, again, mm-hmm. scream at God. Um, so the second point is that, yeah, with, uh, Berkeley's story, um, we, she has, she hasn't seen her birth mom since she was a little under two. And so she couldn't pick her out of a crowd, um, other than from pictures, which she's changed some from pictures. Um, but we just try to say that like, she, um, we, we talk about drugs and we, some, I, I go on, like, I'm just very brutally honest. I'd rather be honest and, um, Mm -hmm. then, then sugarcoat anything. And so I'll say like, she got into drugs and that, um, drugs have this really strong foothold on people and they do. Um, and so that's why we try not to ever even like toy with the idea of them. Um, she was a really good woman and she made a couple poor decisions, but these 
you know, poor decisions um, have been really detrimental, but there's only a couple of them. And she made the best decision ever to, you know, give you life and to choose a family that she knew is going to be a good family for you. Um, So we still pray for her and we still talk about her and it's not like a dirty secret, but it's, she's still dealing with, you know, some of her troubles and past. And so we just try to do that, but they understand not necessarily understand what drugs are, but you know, semi understand what drugs are, um, and, and how they can play a role in people's lives because yeah. we have been around them for so long now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that it's hard to be able to communicate to our adopted kiddos, um, how decisions that they didn't make are still affecting them. And, yes. um, and that's, that's something that, you know, I've had to do with our oldest child, um, but in a much different way than the conversations ahead of us for our youngest child. So I'm always, anytime I hear like another, you know, drug mama, I'm like, Tom, what did you do? You know? Yes. Yes. Um, Cause it's hard. It's hard to know what to say and how to, how to, you know, convey those things in a healthy way. It is Okay. I did have, I had another question for you because you said something about um, having kind of having to switch back and forth between that fight and that nurture. And for me, that's, been kind of jarring. Um, I know that I'm like piecing together parts of your story just to ask, you know, questions that I thought of, but I just, that, that resonated so much for me because sometimes like I process through doing, I process through action. And like, I I'm not a big, like I need to sit in my you know room and think for a long time. Like I need to talk to someone about it. I need to like, you know, do something mm-hmm. with my hands. And so for me, sometimes that fight is how I process things and it can be really hard to switch into nurture mode. Have you found that as well? It kind of sounded like you had, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, it is hard. It's, um, it did, it was a different ball game after we did actually finalize, but still to this day, sometimes I still do find myself sort of fighting for her. And, um, especially right now, I don't know how, well, this will come across, but with the political climate of right now and easily looking different than we look a lot of times right now, um, we walk into things having not a target on our back, but, um, you know, people are more apt to say stuff to us or to, um, give us certain looks. Um, and I go right back very quickly into my fight mode and, um, and I'm, I'm trying to not, (laughs) you know, be like that, but it can be, it's a, it's a very different thing to where I never felt like that before. Um, you know, with Berkeley, I've never felt like I walk into a convenience store and feel like I need to like mama bear my way to go get, you know, a water and some chips with her. Um, and, um, and so it's different or like, she's a great soccer player and to feel that, um, I don't know that, animosity on like the sidelines of people saying stuff and not knowing who her mom is. And so they say crazy stuff because we don't look alike or whatnot. And so they Mm -hmm. can say these things and I'm like taking out my earrings, you know, yeah, (laughs) like like meet me in the parking lot, girl. (laughs) But you know, you, I, I can switch very quickly to that. And I feel like it, and I'm working through that. I'm like, I, 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 but I do, I become very protective and very like, less nurturing and loving and more like mom bearish, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and like, I think that you almost have to access two different sides of yourself and to yeah. marry those together is so hard. It is. <laughs> it's it is. such a, like I said, it's such a jarring switch to be like on, you know, this adrenaline rush to yes. being like, let's snuggle, you know? Yes, exactly. And be like, it's nothing you did, but like, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, let's, yes, exactly. It's hard. Yeah. And I think that that's going to, that's going to be a perfect segue into these closing questions I have, because, um, you know, specifically one of them, I always, I like to ask people who have really big followings because you guys get so many comments and questions and stuff like that, that you're having to navigate really hard stuff. So, um, let's jump into those if that's okay. What do you wish you had known at the very beginning of this journey? Like if you could go back, tell your, you know, past self something about the journey. Um, I wish, um, that I had had a podcast like yours that gave the nitty gritty and didn't give the, um, I don't know. I read lots of books. I was, I felt like I was very like educated and I read 
all the books about, you know, orphan care and all those things. And it was always kind of a savior mentality without even meaning to be. Um, and I wish that I would have had more, um, realistic views and like, sort of like worst case scenario views. Um, and I, I even knew about like rad and I knew that kind of stuff, but it was like, Oh, that, that hardly happens. And once you get them home and everything's fine. And then it's like, it's over and they, you know, you, they play music in the background and you guys all cuddle on the couch and life is great. Um, but I wish I would have known more of like the day to day, how you are still fighting for your family and you're still fighting for, um, some sense of normalcy and, you know, all of those things every single day. And that's what I said, like, I hate being late, but we're out of our schedule and that throws some of my children off. Like it just throws them off and we have different diets and that throws them off. And, and so we're, it's, it's normal life. And, but I am so thankful because the people that I'm surrounded with understand that and are really um, loving and patient and giving, but I wish I would have known that, that like, this doesn't just end. It is a lifetime process and it's beautiful and it will be great, but you've got to just, you know, kind of ride it out and go with the flow and, and it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's another, that's almost another whole topic is just talking about how we have to adapt to different schedules and like little things are a big deal for our families that are just not as big of a deal for other families yes. that we just kind of like naturally go into, but some people are thrown off by that. Yes. Um, okay. What do you wish you had done differently? Oh, I wish I had, especially with Berkeley, I wish I had gotten into a local group um, more quickly. When we went through the adoption with Berkeley, we were a hundred percent alone and we had no idea what a, a, a drug addicted baby was like, nor did anyone around us. So I felt like we were almost like a, I tried to like hide it because I didn't want people to not ever want to adopt. And so it almost mm-hmm. felt shameful because I was hiding it. Um, but it wasn't, and we were going through a lot and it wasn't shameful and it was a lot more typical than I, than I thought. And so I wish that I would have, um, have reached out to people that had been through that and found, found anyone, just one person that had been through it. And it was like, you're okay. That's fine. (laughs) It makes such a difference. Like, God, we are just not made to be alone. Like we're not. Okay. How has your tribe best supported you? Like what specifically have they done that has made you feel so loved and seen and cared for? Uh, just surrounded us in our darkest hours when we were crying and honestly cursing and mad and like everything that they were like, yes, yes, we're here. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. We're crying with you. We're, we're hugging you. Yep. We hear you. And not like a fix it. I don't want to fix it. You know, I don't want somebody to tell me it's, you know, it's going to be better. or Your kid is so lucky or you're such a great mom or I don't want any of that. I just want you to sit with me in the darkness and tell me, yep, it sucks. Yep. We're here for you. Yep. Let's go get you some food. Yep. You know, let's, let's hang out. Let's go, you know, watch a funny movie or let's play a game. Like literally anything, just be with us and not try to fix it. You know? Yeah. Yes. Um, a hundred percent. And I think that that, that can be so hard, even for me to think of doing that for someone else, it, it takes effort and work, but being on the other side of this, it's so important and necessary. And just knowing that is life-giving. Yes. Um, so on the flip side, how have you felt misunderstood or unsupported, um, especially just online with having so many eyes on what you do? It, I imagine that it can be you know, cruel and inappropriate and all those other things. So what, what is the one thing that you want listeners to take away and be like, let's not do that anymore. Cause that's not good. Um, when I will say that it's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of a double-edged sword on like people holding, um, foster and adoptive families to a, like a higher regard. So they they're like, you're amazing. You guys are so great. What you, oh my gosh, that's so great because you don't feel so great. And you know, what you're doing is hard and all of those things. But, um, a lot of times that sense of like, I'm, you guys are amazing. I could never do that is like one of the hardest sentences to hear when people say that, uh, because it's like, well, I can't do it either. Like I I'm, I'm struggling here too. I'm like literally doggy paddling through all of this and hoping that, you know, we come out on the other side. Um, and it's usually well-meaning, 
um, but it's still kind of hurtful or uh, just people, just people not necessarily understanding the adoption world sometimes can be kind of cruel and hurtful on um, looking at you like a savior or looking at you like you're doing this to be a savior. Um, and both of those things suck and both of those things aren't fair and, uh, and they don't, uh, social media is great, but they don't get to see the day to day. And I'm not going to put my kids stories on blast and tell you, you know, all those things, but, um, it's, you know, you, they get like a snippet of information. And so they like to tell you how, how much better, you know, they would parent that child or whatnot. (laughs) Let me give you some neurotypical advice for your unneurotypical yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, hey, nice knowing you, but you should do this with your child. I'm like, okay. Thank <laughs> That's you. That's not helpful. I haven't <laughs> tried that yet. Following. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Okay. So just to wrap it all up, what is the best piece of advice or encouragement you have for adoptive mamas in the trenches? Oh, that just put the next foot in front of the other and Mm. give yourself grace. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get through the day, whether it be walk outside and sit on the porch for 10 minutes all alone. Um, whether it be that you like go out to dinner, like, ask your friends, we please, please come over and take the kids. So me and my husband can go out to dinner and we can sit together for 30 minutes or an hour, please like ask for help. And if I could go back, I would say, ask for help. People want to help and not all people are called to, to foster or to adopt, but they can help. They can support a foster and adoptive family. So like ask for help. And when you're in those trenches, ask, just ask. And I promise you people will step up and just give yourself grace. And at the end of the day, you do what you got to do to get through that day. Amen, sister. Like all yes. of it. Um, okay, man, I'm just so excited to have talked to you, to been able to hear your story and like what an incredible one it was and an ongoing one, which is so cool. Uh, where can we follow along with you and your family? Most of my stuff is on Instagram. So it's Melissa.Truitt on Instagram and Facebook is uh, kind of sporadic on that, but most of my stuff is on Instagram and I'll say, we just show our circus side of things. We're crazy and we just do life and love it. And if you are okay with some imperfections all throughout the way, we are your family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the best part. Like, I think that people are done seeing the picture perfect stuff, you know? I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Well, uh, Melissa and I are about to go have a fun conversation as usual on Patreon. If you're not a part of that community, head to the adoptive mom podcast.com slash Patreon to hear Melissa answer five fun questions that she does not know about. She's completely unprepared for it's my very favorite segment we do. And so you definitely don't want to miss out on that, but for everyone else, thank you so much, Melissa. This was so fun. It was so fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.